0: Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, and verse 20. And the Lord is here travelling once again towards Jerusalem with his disciples, and they pass the fig tree that the Lord had spoken to the previous day. And in verse 20 we read these words. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive If ye have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. The miracles of Jesus ministry as we've seen I trust you appreciate this many times were intended as teaching aids for his disciples. That's a that's a principle that we should grasp and, and attend to whenever we read about these miracles. And yes, They often served for the immediate advantage of particular individuals. And they also spoke more broadly of gospel principles. But they helped immeasurably in the Lord's dealings with his own disciples to train and equip these men for their own ministry when the Lord left them and ascended back into heaven. The Lord showed his power over life and death in these miracles. He showed his power over sickness, disease and demon possession. He stilled the waves in a storm. He walked on the water. He multiplied loaves and fishes several times. He changed water to wine. He rode on the back of an unbroken coat, in spite of a boisterous crowd. And he caused a fig tree to wither overnight from its roots upwards. And we could go on with the examples of the Lord's miracles. But these were not just evidence of supernatural power though they certainly proved Christ's divinity. Nor were they spectacular incidents to draw crowds or to draw attention to himself. Each was a lesson, a a memorable work or experience, as it was sometimes for the disciples, to highlight a spiritual truth. To reveal a divine purpose and especially to equip these disciples to serve their master in that great commission to the ends of the earth and to prepare them for that task. Remember, we're only days away from that point at which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be arrested and crucified we might wonder what lesson could be learned from a barren fig tree. But as we saw in that little introduction uh, that I sent out yesterday, that fig tree spoke no doubt about barren religion. Religion that's void of true spirituality and that is without faith. That's why the Lord uh, position these two thoughts about the barren fig tree and the need for faith together. Religion that can never feed or nourish the souls of men and women and boys and girls is of no use. I take seriously my duty week by week to to bring a message from the Lord to all who hear me preach, I take seriously the, the, the burden that, that, that I feel to, to endeavour to bring a blessing, to, to endeavour to comfort your hearts, the hearts of poor sinners, and to challenge unbelievers who are as yet without Christ. Because if this is me, if this is just me speaking, If I bring no help to your heart, I'm wasting your time and I'm wasting mine. There's no point in a show of leaves and greenery without there being anything sustaining on the branches of the fig tree. Empty religion does no one any good. Rituals, ceremony will do no one any good. There must be faith. There must be true spirituality. The Lord tells Jeremiah, he says this, is in Jeremiah chapter 8, he says, From the prophet, even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. What a a statement for the Lord to make about the religious activities of priest and prophet in the age of Jeremiah. If it was so then, is it different now? He says, From the prophet even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely, for they have healed the heart of the daughter of my people, Slightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And so the Lord, this is me speaking now, so the Lord brings judgment on the false teachers. And the Lord goes on to say through Jeremiah, I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. And the leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. And that prophecy was the very thing that Christ was vividly demonstrating to his disciples here this day. The time of the accountability of these false prophets and vain priests had come. That time was now. That time was there in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ at the culmination and completion of his ministry and on the eve of his successful redemption of his people. The Lord, as it were, was drawing a line under this religious legalism that the Jews had uh, worked up, empty of faith, empty of spirituality. He was saying to his disciples, the Lord's flock deserves better and the Lord's flock will have better. He himself, the Lord himself will prepare a table before them in the presence of their enemies where they will come and dine and where the apostles would serve the Lord's people. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15 says, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. That is to be our desire. That is to be our longing. Let us say it. That is to be our prayer to the Lord. Lord, give us such pastors according to your own heart that will feed us with knowledge and understanding of Christ knowledge and understanding of spiritual truth in the gospel. The Saviour took the opportunity of the withered fig tree and the disciples wonder at the speed of its destruction. We're told that it was from the roots up to show that the men he would soon commission to carry his gospel to the ends of the earth must do so in the strength of God. They had to do so with a power that would accompany them to the ends of the earth. And it would be faith that would characterize their ministry. It would be faith that would enable their usefulness. And it would be by faith that they would accomplish the great feats that they did and bring about the ends. That they accomplished. It was as though the Lord was saying to them. This withered fig tree is but a little thing. With faith in God you'll move mountains. With faith in God you will drain oceans. With faith in God you will straighten paths. And open gates for the elect whom I shall call by your ministry and by your preaching. And here are three things with respect to the Saviour's counsel and guidance to his disciples that we may draw from this lovely little phrase that the Lord was emphasising in their hearing. Have faith in God. Here are three things that we can learn from that little phrase. The first thing is this. Have faith in God. God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our faith. The glory of the triune God in all his attributes, in all his majesty, is worthy of our confidence and our trust. Now, When we think about God, when we we try to uh, conceive, when we try to understand, when we try to comprehend. what, What was it Moses saw, according to the writer of the Hebrews, he saw the invisible. Well, when we try to comprehend the incomprehensible, when we try to understand that which cannot be understood, we run up against a barrier of realising that we are human and God is divine. We find it difficult to explain or to describe God because we are created beings trying to understand our creator. And we're fallen creatures so that our sinful minds and our intellects are darkened and limited and constrained. And even our words, even our vocabulary, even our thinking processes, limit our ability to define God so that the highest concepts of the human mind, oh, I don't know, such as, Infinity, or unchangeableness, or eternity, or immensity. All which characterise God are merely words and concepts and ideas that are beyond our powers of description and knowledge i've I've said it um I've said it many times before here I am repeating myself, but I am sure that the that 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 the distances of outer space or of space are given to us to humble us and to remind us just how small we are, and then to realize that God created it with a word and that he is much bigger than even. The limitlessness apparently of space. Our God is all wise, all holy, all powerful, all good, and so is his wisdom and his holiness and his power, and his goodness is without limits. It is always perfect, it never alters, it never changes. This is our God. And then when we consider God's love, his unconditional love, when we consider his willingness to save, when we consider his purpose of redemption, his revealed will to save sinners, his promises of of mercy, we might find those, those concepts, those ideas unbelievable when we think about what we are and who he is, and yet here is this testimony given to us that this is how God views us and acts on our behalf, we we might shake our head and wonder. But if that same God himself says it is so, says it is true, we have no grounds to doubt it. But we have every reason to believe it. And furthermore, when we see these purposes of God, these revelations of God worked out in the accomplished salvation of his people by the death of the Son of God, by the anointed Christ on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension into glory when we realise that he has broken the power of death and hear in his gospel the overtures of grace and discover the reasonings of God with our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must confess that he has done all things well and he alone is worthy the worthy object of our faith and our trust and our hope. So that when the Lord Jesus Christ says, have faith in God, it's our privilege to do so. It's our delight to do so. To comply with the Lord's words is right. And our only regret is that these doubting hearts and earthbound affections don't let us trust him more because he deserves that we do. And here's the second thing that that little phrase says to us. Learning, have faith in God, learning what we can of God from scripture and from the testimony and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ of whom it is said, in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We ought to be convinced that not only should we have faith in God, but our slightest doubt is unfounded. For nothing can be too hard For such a God. Nothing can be too complicated for such a God. Nothing can be too bad or evil or awful to such a God as this. No obstacle is insurmountable. And I chose that word intentionally. Insurmountable. It means that there is no mountain that God cannot get over. Nothing that he finds insurmountable. Why? Because he delights to move mountains out of our way. He tells us that mountains will move. And we've no reason to doubt it. The glorious attributes of God command our confidence. Doubt is asserting our knowledge over God's knowledge, our wisdom over God's wisdom. It's denying his clear revelation and challenging his ability to do what he has said that he will do. That's what doubt is. That's what lack of faith is. So that notwithstanding the Lord's words have faith in God, failure to trust God is out-and-out rebellion against God. It's not ignorance. It's not even caution. It's contradiction. And God calls that man a fool who will not believe in him. As the Lord Jesus Christ was preparing for his crucifixion, as he was working his, his last hours, his last few days before his death, See him, see him, and see his heart reach out to his disciples as he seeks to prepare them for the great challenges that lie before them. It was as though the Lord was saying to them, Look at this tree, it's barren, it's empty, just like the sinful hearts of men and their self-honouring religions. He's, it's as if he's saying to them, I will show you how withered they are. They're withered from the roots. They're dried up from deep within themselves. They have nothing to offer sinful men and women. But you have. But you have, he says to his disciples. You are going to carry the gospel of saving grace and eternal life to these empty sinners. And you are going to gather up all those who are mine and for whom I shall give my life in redemption. And furthermore, says the Lord, do not doubt it will be so. Have faith in God. For the very mountains that stand before you and seem to be so unassailable and insurmountable will run to your assistance. The very mountains will be your assistance in the gathering in of my elect. They will fill the valleys. The mountains will fill the valleys. Now, what happens if a mountain fills a valley? What happens if a mountain displaces a sea? It makes the path smooth. It makes your path straight and level and safe passage for the gospel. And every single soul to whom you, the disciples, will be purposefully sent will find that word coming to their door, coming to their ears, because the path, the pathway of the gospel will be made straight as the mountains are moved and fill the seas. I have spoken, it shall be so, saith the Lord, have faith in God. And here's the third thing, and with this we'll we'll be finished. Let us not try to get too clever with the Lord. Don't, don't try to get too clever with God. Don't, don't tell him you can't believe. As though your failure to believe is the first insurmountable problem. The first insurmountable mountain that the eternal God has ever encountered. And he can't overcome it. Now I hope we've long dispensed with the foolish notion of free will salvation. It is as stupid as it is unbiblical. Our Lord does not rely upon men and women to accomplish his purposes but he enables men and women to do his bidding and he places within them a heart to serve, a desire to follow and all the grace we need to achieve his purposes. Salvation is of the Lord. He is bringing his people to himself, but God be praised. He has used men and women like these disciples, like you and like me, To accomplish his purposes. And if you need any supply. That by nature is lacking. He delights to supply all your need. According to his riches in glory. All fitness for God's service will be supplied. Have faith in God. The master said. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. If you don't have enough of it, if you feel a lack of it, then ask the Lord for more. Forgiveness is God's mercy. Grace is free. What we have freely received, we delight to freely give. And this is the lesson the disciples were being taught I sometimes think that we make too much of our doubts and our fears. We give Satan too much credit. Our, our self-criticism becomes so familiar that we're we're loath to take God's promise of victory at face value, and we always find some other little little. Cave some other little hole, some other little crack upon which we can we can hold on to and 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 uh, and cause ourselves to to legitimise our our unbelief. If the Saviour says have faith in God, and the Lord says ask and ye shall receive, we really have no excuse. The Lord's closing reference here to forgiveness reminds us that. It's grace and not law that regulates our conduct. And if you have enjoyed divine forgiveness and have been shown a a way of life in, in fellowship with God and in communion with Jesus Christ, that is a blessed mercy and we have been touched with the love and the grace of God himself now, such qualities uh, from God, such divine blessings from God, they don't come alone, but once experienced, they will be exhibited, and they will be evident to others. the lord, the Lord uh, makes fruitful trees, he doesn't make barren trees. having been forgiven, we forgive one another. Having been loved of God we love him who first loved us and we love one another for his sake. We care for one another having tasted the Lord's goodness and mercy for our own souls and in such ways the elect of God bear fruit for our Lord revealing Christ in us our hope of glory. Our dear Saviour was preparing his disciples for the great calling that lay ahead. And he prepares us too. He says, have faith in God. We shall. We do. And we shall serve our Lord in the gathering of his church until the day that he is pleased to come or call for us, and to take us home to our rest. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us and encourage our hearts in them. Amen.